Hey, everyone. Uh, I have always loved this quote by Billy Graham. He says, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. So true. If you're here today and you're a dad and you feel at times you go through seasons where you're like, I'm unpraised, I'm unnoticed, I want you to know today God sees God sees the sacrifice, God sees the service, and you are one of the most valuable assets, not only to your kids, but also to our whole society. So happy Father's Day to you as well. All right, today we are wrapping up a series called While We Wait, and I want to start with a question. Has there ever been someone in your life who just consistently lifts you up? That if you were having a bad day, this is the person you would want to run into, our family was eating dinner at a restaurant in Duluth, Minnesota, and it's a restaurant we've gone to once a year for you know several years, got great food, and we've had the same waitress the last two times we've gone, and she is, hands down, the best, most memorable waitress I have ever had in my life. To this woman, everything is awesome. So I asked for a refill of water, and as she's filling my cup up, she looks at me and she goes, keeping hydrated. Good for you. And I was like, oh, thank you. And, and then a little bit later, I was trying to make a decision on two different items. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to get this one. She goes, oh, I'm so happy. You are going to be so proud of yourself for that decision. I was like, good. I'm good. I, our kids spilled. And we're all angry. Like, go get a napkin. She came over. She said, your kids are so amazing. Picking up after them. So I'm like, well, we yelled at them to go do it. I told my wife, I said, I want to hire this lady just to follow me around. <laughs> like, if I just said, like, I got to go to the bathroom, I'm like, yes, let it out. Great decision. I'm like, okay. Th this is what my self confidence needs in life. But, but what is it about some people? I mean, they just lift you up. You can't help but smile when you're around them. They encourage you, they leave you better than you were. On the opposite end, what is it about other people? They tend to hurt more than they help. They tend to drag you down a little bit. They tend to leave you worse off than you were before. The popular word that people use today is toxic people. Do you have any in your life? As I mentioned, we're wrapping up a series called While We Wait, and it's based on two books in the New Testament, first and second Thessalonians, and this man named Paul, he was an apostle of Jesus, he planted churches all throughout the Mediterranean region, and one of those was in a city called Thessalonica, it's in modern day Greece, and he wrote a couple letters to them to encourage them in their faith, and I'm going to take you to the second of those two letters today, chapter 3, he wrote these words, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. Brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching that you received from us. A few things to point out from this verse. First of all, it's a command. So this isn't like, you know, take it or leave it, do with this what you please. This is a command. He's pretty serious about this. Second, he says to keep away from every believer. So he's not talking about unbelievers who exhibit these behaviors. You, you might have to go off the grid to do that. But he says, if there's a believer who's acting in these ways, you should actually keep away from that person. 
What are the characteristics of a believer that you should distance yourself from? He says they are idle and they are disruptive. Let's start with the idle part first. Paul goes on a few verses to say he worked really hard because he didn't want to be a burden to anyone else. And then in verse 10, he says this. He says, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We talk a lot these days about work-life balance. And oftentimes when people use that phrase, work-life balance, here's kind of what they mean. They mean, I want to work less, and I want to have more time to do the things that I enjoy. But I want to talk to you about the other side of that equation. Are you cheating your employer? And if you're on social media when you ought to be working, if you're working from home, but you're not working really like you could be or you should be, that is a spiritual issue. You say, well, my employer, they don't care. And all the other employees, I mean, they're worse off than me. Or my employer, they don't care about me. So why in the world should I care about them? Because laziness dishonors God. Hard work honors God. It is a spiritual issue. I was talking to someone who trains basketball players, and he was telling me, he said, the best way to train a player to improve their performance is to take a hardworking player and put them around other hardworking players. He said, you get them in a group with each other competing, and pretty soon they start pushing each other to work even harder. I thought, that's true in life. If the people you hang out with wake up at the crack of noon and they order DoorDash and they binge watch a show and those are the people that you're around all the time, you may not flourish in life. Paul says, keep away from those who are idle. And then he adds these words. He says, keep away from those who are disruptive. This is the person who's always causing problems. They're inciting anger. They're just stirring up division. They're toxic, and they can hurt. My son Jasper is 11 years old, and he's kind of all 11-year-old boy. He just loves adventure and trying different things. And a few years ago, there was some geese in our backyard that had babies, and this was just too tempting for Jasper. He thought, I'm going to run and get as close to that geese, goose as I possibly can. So he opens up the sliding door in our basement. He takes off at a full sprint. But when he gets about two feet away from this goose, he stepped in some sort of hole or pothole, and he tripped and he fell. When the goose saw man down, the goose flew over him and kicked him in the head. <laughs> Jasper put his head down like this to kind of protect himself from the goose, and the goose came and pecked him in the back of the neck. Jasper walked inside. He said to my wife, he said, I just got pecked in the neck by a goose. He said, but I don't regret it. An hour later, he has a welt on his neck, throbbing pain. He goes, maybe I do regret it. Toxic people are like geese. They will peck you. You will feel the peck of their anger. You will feel the peck of their control and their manipulation. You will feel the peck of their sarcasm, their cynicism, their half-truths and humiliations. If you go through a season of life where you're vulnerable and you're down, they might just fly over you with a barrage of hurtful words. You will always regret getting too close to a toxic person, which is why Paul said to the people in Thessalonica, keep away. 
I mean, it's just really simple. You, you need to, there's certain people you need to distance yourself from. One toxic person can all but empty a church if they're not called out on it. Some of you have seen this in a church where there's a church split, there's a church division. Oftentimes it's one or a group of people who cause that whole thing to happen. One toxic person can ruin a family gathering. One toxic person can make your life at work miserable. While relatively few in number, unfortunately, toxic people have an incredible influence, which is why I want to join the Apostle Paul and say to you today that there are certain people that you need to distance yourself from. There's certain people you need to set some boundaries around that relationship. And before I go any further, let me just say that some people throw the word toxic out too loosely. I mean, I'll hear people just kind of throw, oh, that, that person, they're toxic. I'm like, well, no, they just disagree with you. They just have a different opinion about politics or faith or some other issue. They're not toxic. You just don't agree with them. Or people say, oh, that person's so toxic. Well, they have a strong personality. And maybe your personality is rubbed the wrong way by that, but that doesn't make them truly toxic. Here's some characteristics of truly toxic people. The first one is this, chronically negative. Paul writes to someone in Timothy, or this young man named Timothy. And here's what he says to him. He says about these people, they're conceited. It's one of the first signs. It's just me, 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 me. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels, strife, malicious talk, and constant friction. You've ever talked to someone and they're like, oh, I went to Walmart and the, the worker told me this and then I gave them a piece of my mind. And then, you know, two minutes later, they're talking about their kid's school, and the teacher did this, and I set up a meeting with the principal and reamed them out. And then they called the coach, and they had conflict with the coach. And you're like, wow, you have a lot of conflict in your life. That's what Paul's talking about here, constant friction, constant quarrels, constant controversies. They're just stirring it up at all times. A person like this is going to be critical. They're going to demean. They're going to drain. It's toxic. Here's the second category of toxic people, the controller. This person's overbearing. They can be manipulative. They try to use fear as a tactic to get you to do what they wanted you to do. They don't love people. They tend to use people. It's the controller. Here's the third category. It's the tempters. This is the person where the boyfriend's tempting their girlfriend to do things sexually that she knows God doesn't want her to do. But she feels the pressure. If she's going to stay in this relationship, well, I have to do these things. This is the buddies who are pressuring you to drink or to use drugs or do something like that. That when you're around them, there's just this sense of like, well, if I want to be accepted, then, then here's the things that I have to do. As I went through that list, I'm guessing that a face maybe popped into your mind or somebody came to mind. For some of you, a tear came to your eye. Because toxic people can hurt. I mean, you don't even have to live in the same house. You can have a 30-minute phone conversation, a 30-minute interaction over social media, and all of a sudden, you'll need a week to recover from that. I mean, you'll, you'll be having conversations with them in your head. They're not even in the room. But you're having these conversations that you're playing out with this person throughout your life. And so today, I want to ask three questions. I want to give three questions for you to reflect on, to ask yourself about toxic relationships. And here's the first question. Is there anything within you that's toxic? 
Is there anything within me that's toxic? And we, we've been spending our time saying, oh, those people. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. It's those people over there. But the first question we have to ask is, God, is there anything that's toxic within me? As I was preparing for this message, I was looking back over an old book that I had read several years ago. And I don't know why I did this, but I happened to look at the endorsements in the front of the book. And there were several well-known pastors and authors who had endorsed this book. And it was sad reading their endorsements years later. Because one of them was out of the ministry because of anger management issues. Two of them were out of the ministry because they had had an affair. One of them was accused of financial impropriety and a bullying style of leadership, was later charged with assault, case pending. One of them, their theology kind of started to go off the rails and their church began to decline as a result of that. These were the people who had endorsed a book with a chapter titled, Uncovering Your Hidden Sins. And I read that and I had two thoughts that popped into my mind. The first one was, Lord, help us. Here are these people endorsing a book on uncovering your hidden sins, and yet they weren't doing that themselves. But my second thought was, that could be me. That could be you. There's none of us that's immune to temptation. Given the right situations and circumstances, all of us could fall into those kinds of behaviors. I mean, it's easy to point at a pastor or a politician or an athlete who did something, and they're kind of in the public eye. And so we point the finger, and go, oh, I can't believe what they just did. But when was the last time we paused and we said, God, search me? Is there anything toxic within me? In Psalm 139, King David prays these words to God. This is a powerful prayer. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, not other people, in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, God, search me. Test me, God. It's easy for me to point at the person who's in the public eye or on social media, although the person is toxic. But God, I want you to see, is there anything offensive within me? And here's why I believe this is so important. God doesn't want to cut you off, but maybe there's something in you that he wants to cut out. What is that for you? What is that sin or that character issue in your life that you would say, you know what, I just know that God would want to cut that out? Maybe it's your anger. You just get so frustrated and you have a hard time controlling your emotions and words just start to fly. Maybe for you, it's controlling other people. They're not doing what you want them to do. And so you try to manipulate and control them, but you can't. And so you're stressed. Maybe for you, it's lust. Maybe it's alcohol abuse. But what is it in you that God may want to cut out? One of the things that we do on staff at Eagle Brook is we call it a 360. And I did this several years ago. The way it works is you send out a survey to 25 people who know you really well. So these are coworkers, family members, people who know you really well, and you ask them a series of 10 questions. 
The first question that we asked was, what's it like, in this case, to be around Jason when he's at his best? And it was really encouraging to read how people perceive me when I'm functioning at my best. The second question was, what's it like to be around Jason when he's at his worst? That wasn't so encouraging to read those. I read people who know me and love me say things like this, hurried, quick, strong in opinions but doesn't listen well to others, impatient, body language communicates he wants the conversation to end. One person said, I don't think I've ever been around Jason when he's at his worst. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> I actually did send one to my mom. So I knew some of my coworkers were probably going to hammer me. I'm like, bring the average up. Come on, mom. <laughs> but, but there's some different ways that you can respond to that feedback. You can get dismissive. You can get defensive. You can say, well, I got a lot to do. And of course, I'm you know, moving pretty fast. And I got to get to this. And I got to do that. Or you can say, thank you, God. Thank you that there's some things in my life that need to go. And there's some people who love me enough to speak the truth so that I can cut those out of my life and I can love other people well. I was listening to another pastor tell a story about a time he was waiting for his daughter at their, her school and he was sitting in the school office next to this woman and her eight-year-old son and this woman, this mom, she just talked. Like she was just talk, talk, talk and he couldn't get a word in so she told him about her daughter and all of her accomplishments. She told this pastor about her husband and all the perks he gets at work. And after about a half hour of this, her daughter finished her meeting. And so this woman stood up to leave, and she turned to this pastor. She said, it was nice talking to you. He was like, oh, okay. And, and then she said, you know, I'm meeting my husband for dinner, but I got to go to the store. I got to pick up some buttons. I don't know what she needed buttons for. But her eight-year-old son, who had not said a word up to this point, didn't miss a beat, didn't even crack a smile. He just said, Mom, you need a button for your mouth. <laughs> this pastor said, we were all thinking it. But only the eight-year-old had the courage to say it. I can't tell you how many times I've needed a button for my mouth. I mean, how many times I've been in a leadership team meeting or a staff meeting, and I say something, and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I can't tell you how many times I've been with my kids or my wife and I'm getting frustrated about something and I'm annoyed about something and it just comes out. And I think, oh, I need a button for my mouth. Problem is, oftentimes when we need a button for our mouth, we're not aware of it. That's why feedback is so important to ask other people, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Is there anything in me that's toxic? Here's a second question to ask yourself. Is there a relationship in your life that's toxic? I was reading through 2 Chronicles 24 just in my own time with God, and it was telling the story about a king of Israel named Joash. And that wouldn't be significant, a king of Israel, but Joash was seven years old, and he was the king of Israel. I mean, I was eating Honey Nut Cheerios watching G.I. Joe's when I was seven. This kid is leading a nation. And here's what it says about Joash as the king. It says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada, the high priest. 
So when Jehoiada was alive, apparently Joash was doing really well as king, and he was leading the people towards God. But what happened when Jehoiada died? Verse 17 tells us, it says this. Next verse. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king. That's Joash. And he listened to them. What did he listen to them about? It says, they abandoned the temple of the Lord and worshipped Asherah poles and his idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. So when Jehoiada was alive, Joash was walking with God. He was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But when Jehoiada died, all of a sudden, he had different people in his ear. He was surrounding himself with different people, and that caused the whole nation to suffer. Here's what I think that story illustrates. The people close to you will either be your greatest spiritual asset or your worst spiritual curse. I want you to think about the people in your life, your friends, the people you're around on a regular basis, and I want you to ask this question. Do they help you get closer to God? Are they a spiritual asset in your life? Are they sharpening your faith or are they deadening your faith? Do they influence you to obey God or do you feel the pressure to disobey God when you're around them? If your friends swear all the time, if they get drunk, if they just disobey God, you might need to find some new friends. If your closest friends drain you and they bring out the worst in you, you might need to find some new friends. Look at what Solomon writes about this in Proverbs. He says, walk with the wise and you will become what? You'll become wise. In other words, you don't even have to be a wise person right now. But if you have the intuition to surround yourself with wise people, to be around wise people, you will become wise yourself. But the opposite is also true. He says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. When you're hanging out with foolish people, when you're surrounded by foolish people, when you're listening to foolish people, you start to become foolish. And that will harm your life. There are some of us right now who are going through something difficult. You are suffering in some way. And in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, the reason for that suffering is because the people around you. It's the people you have surrounded yourself with. Paul was writing again to this young man named Timothy. He said this, avoid godless chatter. Godless chatter is, there's a gossip connotation to it, but it also simply is just, we talk a lot, but we never talk about God. I mean, you probably have relationships like that where it's like, yeah, we, we talk about all sorts of things, but we never talk about spiritual things. We, we never talk about God. It's, it's just godless chatter. He says, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And their teaching, which oftentimes is, is not biblical teaching, their teaching will spread like gangrene. I was going to show you a picture of a person who's suffering from gangrene, but it would have just turned your stomach. It is an infection that starts in your skin and it spreads. And what gangrene does is it cuts off your blood flow and it begins to eat at your flesh. 
So you look down, you're like, well, what's that? And then a little bit later, you realize, wait a minute, I don't have skin. I don't have muscle. I don't have flesh. I'm just looking at the bone. And day by day, little by little, it spreads. Paul says that's what toxic, toxic people do. Day by day, little by little, they begin to rot away at your joy, your peace, your faith, your energy. It is just slowly over time, it begins to spread. And all of a sudden, you start talking like them, you start acting like them, you start living like them. Author Henry Cloud says it this way. He says, your best and worst seasons were often about who was in that season with you. Isn't that true? I mean, oftentimes we, we think back over our life and the seasons we were in. I'm, I'm telling you, probably the best seasons and the worst seasons were the best or the worst because of who, not what, who was in that season with you. He says either for good or for bad. And then he says, here's some questions to ask yourself. Who's helping? Who's hurting? Who's strengthening? Who's weakening? These people are making you who you are. Before I leave this point, I want to speak directly to those of you who are in an abusive relationship. And when I say abusive, I mean physically abusive. I understand there's other forms of abuse and there's a spectrum of abuse. But for the purpose of what I'm talking about, I'm talking about physical abuse. You need to immediately get to safety. If you are sitting next to that person and they're looking at you like they're not saying anything, you, have, you should go talk to one of our pastors right after church. You need to get to immediate safety. And you say, well, if I do that, well, then they're going to fall back into their addiction or their destructive ways. That's not love. That's called enabling. Here's what healthy relationships look like. Healthy relationships equal truth plus love plus boundaries. That's what healthy relationships look like. You say, but we love each other. We have such a strong love for each other. That's great. That's not the only part of a healthy relationship. Healthy relationships have the ability to speak truth without being afraid for your physical safety. Healthy relationships have boundaries built into them healthy boundaries. That's what makes up a healthy relationship. If you are in an abusive relationship right now, you need to immediately get to safety. That is not love. You are not loving that other person. You can love them from afar. You can pray for them from afar. But that is not love. That is enabling. They need to get help, and you need to get to safety. Here's the third question for all of us to ask. Do your words build up or do they tear down? Is there anything toxic within me? Is there a toxic relationship in my life? And the final question, do your words build up or do they tear down? Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. Paul, writing to this church in Thessalonica, said this. He says, for you know that we dealt with you as a father with his own children. It's Father's Day weekend. What does he mean, a father dealing with his children? He says, encouraging and comforting you to live lives worthy of God. One of the most powerful aspects of being a father is the power that your encouraging words have in your son or daughter's life. I went through years where my kids would get off the basketball court and they'd get in the car and I'd go, well, you did this wrong, you didn't do this right, you got to work on that. And then I remember one time seeing them get yelled at by another adult, just screamed at. 
And it just clicked in my brain. There's so many other people who are going to pull them down. There's so many other people who are going to hammer at them. You need to be the most encouraging voice in their life. They need to hear you say, I'm proud of you. I love you. I believe in you. You have what it takes. This is what Paul says a father does. He's encouraging. He's building up. He goes on in the next verse. Or in chapter 5, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Are you doing that? Are your words building other people up? Here's two principles for you. If you think something good, say it. If you think something bad, wait on it. If you think something good about a person, say it. I had someone come up to me just this week, and they said, I need to let you know I'm not doing well right now. They were struggling with some insecurity kinds of things, and I said, hey, what do you need from me? They said, I think I need some encouragement. They said, it's hard for me to even say those words, but I think what I need right now is I need some encouragement. The sad truth is that two weeks before, I had thought some things about this person that were extremely encouraging. And I even told someone else, I said, man, they're doing such a great job. I noticed this, but I never said anything to them. Here they were for two weeks, struggling, dealing with insecurities in their life. And what they needed, I had. They needed encouragement. They needed to be built up. And I was thinking it, but I wasn't saying it. If you think something good, say it. If you think something bad, wait on it. People who are healthy relationally have learned the power of the pause. They have learned to hit pause before they hit send. They have learned to hit pause before it comes out of their mouth. One scholar calls this the life-giving quarter of a second. You have a quarter of a second between when you think something and it starts to come out of your mouth. He says healthy people have learned how to master that quarter of a second. If you think something bad, just wait for a little bit. Just say, God, search my heart, my motives. Why am I saying this? Could I say this in a loving kind of way? I'm just going to hit pause for just a moment. Because I want my words to build people up. In his book, Soul Detox, author Craig Rochelle tells a story about meeting a man named Scott after church one Sunday. This man, Scott, came up front and said to Craig, he said, I have no reason to live. And Craig was like, oh, and he prayed a quick prayer, and he said, well, he took out a piece of paper. He said, Let, give me a hundred reasons to live. Scott said, well, I just told you, I have, I have none. I have zero. I, I couldn't even come up with a hundred. He said, well, let's just try. Tell me one thing you're good at. Scott said, well, I'm a good writer. So Craig wrote down, Scott's a great writer. Second thing, he said, well, you know, some people tell me I'm funny. So Craig wrote down, Scott's, you know, got a good sense of humor. And then he said, well, some people say I look like Robert Redford. Craig said, he looked nothing like Robert Redford. So he said, I wrote down, Scott is very, very, very funny. And that kind of broke the ice a little bit. 45 minutes later, they had a list of 100 things that Scott was good at, 100 reasons to live. He prayed for Scott. He handed him the piece of paper. Scott moved to a different state. A couple months later, they lost touch with each other. And then Craig writes this in his book. He said, can you imagine my shock 
12 years later, Scott walk up, walked up to me after church and introduced his wife and his son. He tried to thank me, but started to choke up. And that's when he reached into his pocket and pulled out a crinkled piece of paper. It was his hundred reasons to live. He had carried it in his pocket for 12 years. He handed me the sheet and said, I don't need this anymore. God has written a hundred reasons on my heart. I wonder today if there's someone in your life that could use you. Someone in your life who could use your encouragement. Someone in life who needs to know that you believe in them, that you're willing to build them up, that you're willing to speak words of life to them. Is there anyone in your life that you can think of that you go, you know what, that, that person needs my encouragement right now. Here's the three questions that I want to invite you to ask yourself this week. Is there anything within you that's toxic? Not just other people, point the finger, well, they have them, them, them. No, no, is there something within us? Talk about this in the car ride home today, over lunch. Call someone this week that you trust, that you love. Spend some time praying to God. Is there anything within you that's toxic? Question number two, is there a relationship in your life that's toxic? It's gotten to the point where it's so draining, it's so pulling you away from God, it's just not a healthy relationship at this point. And the third question, do your words build up or do they tear down? Ask yourself those questions this week. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote these two letters to this group of people in Thessalonica because they're inspired by you. God, there are some of us who need to hear those words right now, 2,000 years later, and we need to evaluate our life. Is there something within us, God? Is there a self-focus? Is there a control? Is there an anger? Is there something within us that's become toxic? God, would you give us the courage to deal with that before it's too late? Would you give us the courage to deal with ourselves before we hit rock bottom and someone else makes us deal with it? God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the power to do that. God, if there's a relationship in our life that is pulling us away from you, it's not sharpening our faith, it's deadening our faith. It's pulling us away from you, God. I pray that you would speak to us and give us wisdom. Is that a relationship we need to stick out because you've called us there to try to reach that person for Christ? Or is that a relationship that we need to put some boundaries around? God, I pray right now for our whole church that you would give us wisdom. And Lord, I pray that our words would build up. I pray that our words would encourage. God, bring to our mind right now somebody in our life who needs our encouragement who needs our words and our voice. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for sending your son to this earth. We thank you so much for what he did for us and provided for us on the cross, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, next week, we are starting a new series called Voices, and we have a guest speaker, John Weiss, who's coming. John Weiss spoke at our church last year, and people loved it. They were like, bring him back next year, and so we did. Next weekend, John Weiss, as we kick off a new series called Voices. Don't miss it.